if you've got your handout with you this morning, this is always a good time to get that out, look that up, and uh, we'll spend some time today talking about the love God hates. The love that God hates. Oh, we got more kiddos coming. That's good. Got a full house there. Uh oh. <laughs> no, they're excited about it. They really are. You know, they were uh, doing a tour of a, like a hospital uh, emergency room, and uh, the kiddos were noticing everything, and, and they, they asked this question. They said, why is everybody always washing their hands? Now, we've got a pandemic going on, so it's even more of a highlight. And uh, the, the, the person in charge said, well, there's two reasons. One, we love health. And two, we hate germs. <laughs> and love, hate go together. When you love something, you hate the opposite. When you love something, you hate what's against it. And in that case, we're talking about the love that God hates. Why does God hate it? Because it's against our best. It's against what his plan is for us. In fact, if you've got 1 John chapter 2, this would be a good time to, to, to get that out, either on your device or in your Bible. 1 John chapter 2, it's listed there in your handout as our passage for the day. We've been making our way through the 1 John book, through 1 John, and we're gradually uh, chopping away at some of the best material for us to grow in, in our faith, in our walk with God. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, come not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Let's just bow in prayer over this. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word from you. Thank you for the encouragement about what you hold dear, about what you yearn for for us, about your desires for the people of God, the body of Christ. Help us to choose to love you most and foremost in Jesus' name. Amen. See, we're talking today about the tension between being in the world, but not of the world. You'll notice it says several times, it's in everything in the world, and it says it's not of the but is of the world, or from the world. We are in the world, but we're not of or from the world. We have a new beginning in our walk with God, and he shows us this. Now, here's a couple of verses to think of. Let those who love the Lord hate what? Love, hate. Okay? You know, somebody might say, we should love everything all the time, and it's like, no. We don't love evil. Why? Well, it's not good for us, and it's against God. We love God, and so it's naturally opposed to anything opposed to him. Regards the lives of the faithful and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. evil. Yeah. So 
Keep that in store, in mind, as we kind of get into this today. And we want uh, everyone to know that if you love someone, if a husband loves his wife, he's going to hate everything that would harm his wife, right? If you love your children, you're going to hate anything that would be neglectful or abusive to that child. It's just natural. It's just common. And it makes sense as we go through this. So let's tear that verse apart a little bit. Let's spend some time um, speaking specifically about, it says, do not love the world. Let's talk about that for a minute. Let's tear that apart. In fact, that's going to be our, our main outline source. Let's talk about the world's uh, composition. What makes up the world? Because he says, don't love the world or anything in the world. Underline that twice. The world. The world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him or in them. So let me think with you about a couple of things. First of all, he's not talking about the physical world. He's not talking about the planet. Okay? The Bible says, Psalm chapter 24, the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. Timothy says, he's given us everything in this world to enjoy. So we're talking about inside the world and nature. I don't know about you, but I can't go but a couple miles without just, oh my gosh, that's so beautiful. God, I love what you've made. Blossoming cherry trees, the blossoming plum trees, the beautiful pink full moon. Did you catch any of this today, this week? The mountain yesterday? Oh my goodness. We can love the world that God created and appreciate his creation. Now, if we get too caught up in it and worship the earth or the world, that's a different story. But to appreciate it, he is not against the world he created. In fact, he declared it good, 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 good. And when he made mankind, he said it is very good. Okay? The world in itself is not anti-God. So, what's he talking about? Well, he's not talking about the humanity part of the world either. What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's the world made up of human beings. The people in the world. God doesn't say, don't love the people in the world. Just the opposite. We should love people like he loves people. Okay? So when he says, don't love the world or the things in the world, he's not talking about physically the earth, and he's not talking about humankind. What's he talking about then? He's talking about the world system. He's talking about a godless world. The system that is opposed to the Heavenly Father. It's more... Uh, it's more like you can't love God and mammon or money. He says you'll either hate one and love the other or you'll be devoted to one and deny the other. So he says don't try to be dual-minded. Either love God or love the godless world. Don't try to love both. It's not going to work. So in this case, we're talking like they say on TV. Somebody would say, welcome to the world of sports. 
Okay, that's the generic, general, welcome to the world of politics, or something like that. When he's talking in this verse, he's talking about the world of godlessness, the world of sin. That's what he's contrasting here and getting us to think about the rebellious world, the world in competition for our affection, in competition for our love. In fact, that's the key thing to think about today is you and I have a choice. We have a choice where we're going to place our affection, our desire, our love. And he's, of course, going to encourage us to not love the godless world, but to love him. The world is the evil one. Let me bring up a couple of verses here. We know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. Do you catch that? The world around us is under the control of the evil one. Satan, he's also called the prince of this world. Satan has been granted some leniency. He's been granted some leadership. He's in charge of the world system. And he is in direct opposition to the heavenly father who loves us. But he's the prince of this world. Now he will be driven out. It's a temporary setting. It's a temporary situation. But it is nonetheless real at the moment. Take your stand against the devil's schemes. Listen to this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That's what I said earlier, the world, the, the people. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark, what? World. We're talking about the dark world here. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Is that clear? Does that make it really clear? <laughs> You know, that's where our battle is at. That's where the spiritual war is at. And you've got to choose a side. You're either going to love God with all your heart or you're going to love the world. You can't play both sides against the middle. That's what he's saying. That's what he's going to get at in this passage is don't try to do what Satan wants you to try to do is to try to get one foot in both worlds. You'll be split. <laughs> and you'll end up, what it says here, denying the Father and not loving Him. Let me go one more. I've got to have this. This, this. this one just shares the gospel in a nutshell. I just love this. Listen to it. As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the... Catch that again? The ways of the world... And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Who's he talking about here? Satan. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. I mean, Satan is violently active. He is foaming everything up. He is trying to get people against the Father. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. And following the desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us. That's the human world. That's the people in the world. That's humankind. Mankind. He says, because of his great love for us, God, rich in mercy. Underline that. 
God, rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. None of us deserve it. None of us can earn it. It's a free gift from the Heavenly Father. For by grace you've been saved. Now listen to this. And God raised us up with Christ. So we've got a new stance. We're not in the world controlled by the evil one. We're raised up. We're above the fray. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Brother, sister, celebrate the fact that you're not a part of the world. You're in the world, but you're raised up above the world. You're no longer a participant in the evil of the world. You're now a participant in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. You are a new being, a reborn being. God has called you to not be part of the world, but to be part of the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God that arches over the world. See, Jesus said it this way. He said, hey, if the world hates me and you follow me, guess what? The world's going to hate you too. There is a direct opposition. In fact, you can tell if you're following Jesus and in love with the Father by the opposition you're getting from the world. Did you hear that again? You can tell if you're in love with the Father by how much opposition you're getting. Don't count opposition as negative. Count it as a blessing. If they hated Jesus, they're going to hate you. They go together. So the world's composition is not the physical planet world, and it's not the world of human beings. It's the world of the evil one. Let's go on to the next one. Let's talk about the fruit or the mechanism that the world uses to trip us up. Everything in the world, everything in the world, here's the first one, the lust of the flesh. Some would say the desires, the cravings. I think the New Living says um, the cravings of the sinful lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes and the pride of life come not from the Father, but from the world. Should we tear that apart a little bit? Let's take that first one. It says, the lust of the flesh. It looks like a good little list here of three, and you know how I like triplets here. So let's just take this uh, and tear it apart a little bit and talk about the lust of the flesh. This is the temptation, we would say, to feel. Maybe you want to feel full. You know, God made you that way. God made you with a hunger. But how many know that when you carry hunger too far, you get gluttony? Do I need to look in the mirror? No, there's a consequence for that. Okay? God made us with a thirst. It's a God-given desire. What happens if we thirst and we use it for alcohol and become drunk? It's now shifted from healthy and good for us to sinful and harmful for us. God made us to need sleep. Good grief, we got to sleep and rest. What happens if we're slothful? What happens if we're lazy? What happens if we carry that to the extreme and don't use it the way God meant for it to be used? God gave us a, a sexual appetite. And how many of us know that sexual appetites can be warped 
and gone way out of God's bounds. And what happens then? It becomes destructive. How many guys among us are struggling with porn addiction because of that very thing? The use of a good appetite gone to a sinful desire instead of the health. So lust of the flesh is taking God's built-in desires to a negative, sinful degree, this strong desire. The word lust means desire. In the uh, Greek language, it's this word epithuma, and it means strong passion, strong desire. It means having an uh, insatiable appetite for. Now, this word is used uh, 38 times in the Bible, in the New Testament. Three of them are positive. 30 of them, like this passage, are negative. I wanted to look up the positive ones. So I was thinking about Jesus on the Last Supper. He uses this word. Remember when he said, I have strongly desired to eat this meal with you. I mean, that's a healthy use of this term. Okay? Jesus said, I strongly, I've been passionate about meeting with you. Just like we just observed communion, that's when he instituted communion and brought it to his disciples. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, it says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And, and the Apostle Paul says, my desire is to be with you, but my desire is also to be with the Lord in heaven. There's that passion and desire, strongly wanting. In 1 Thessalonians, the third one says, you know, we were torn away from you, but we have a great desire to see you again, to reconnect with you. So Jesus wanted to be with the people. The Apostle Paul didn't want to just go to heaven. He wanted to be with the people. There's a strong desire for this communion and fellowship and sharing together because we're all made up of deep desires. God made us that way, but it's what we do with those desires that determine whether it's a lust of the flesh or not. Sometimes people take normal desires and fulfill them in forbidden ways. Or some would say meeting our natural desires at God's expense, at his expense. So let's, um, what's the, um, many of you live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their dis destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Do you know anybody like that? Wasn't Esau, you know, sell his birthright for a bowl of pottage? You know, their God is their stomach. <laughs> And their glory is their shame. Their mind is on what? Worldly, earthly things. Yeah. What's the anecdote? What's the anecdote for the lust of the flesh? Integrity. Integrity. When instead of having compartmentalized your life, where you feel like you can do something that's not having integrity. What's an integer? Any of you doing math with your grandkids? Or An integer, isn't it mean a 
whole number that doesn't have a fraction? I'm getting blank looks, okay? Uh, I'm going way back, you know? <laughs> An integer, isn't it a, a, a whole number? You know? And God made us whole beings. <laughs> God made us whole beings, and we're, you know, wasn't the Titanic that they had all these compartments? And so they believed they were unsinkable because they said, if one compartment gets compromised, the rest will save it. And we think that as people sometimes. We think, well, I can, I can have evil thoughts. I can be perverse in my mind. And it's not going to affect the rest of my life. And, and God just says the same to us as we found out with the Titanic. No, <laughs> it can sink your ship. It can harm the whole person because we are whole people. The antidote is to treat life like we are uh, common, like it flows over from one area of our life to another, that there is integrity in our strong desire. Let's move from lust of the flesh. This is really similar construction, but it's lust of the eyes. Lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes. So I think the first one is a temptation to feel a certain way. This one is more of a temptation to have. A temptation to have. We would say this is greed. We would say this is covetousness. You know what that is? Coveting something. And it's, it's not that you just want something. You want something that you don't even need because you already have what you need. It's not even a legitimate need. It's false or superficial. The temptation to have. So sometimes our eye gate is the place. Now, who plays on that in our culture? The media, advertisement. I mean, how, how many of us can go an hour? I challenge people. Go an hour without looking or hearing or seeing a billboard, an ad. Because they're appealing to your eye gate. You need this car. You need this house. You need this shoreline house. You, you need these clothes. You need, you need, you need. And they're trying to convey to us, I got to have. I got to have it. Yep. You put it where you can reach it. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks on a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, Jesus took it to the eye gate. He said, if you don't look lustfully, you're not going to have the problem. Remember King David, you know, it started with a look. He saw Bathsheba bathing and then he called her to his room, to his house. Craving for more, let's accumulate more we recently went through the book of, of Joshua, and we talked about Achan. You know, Achan was in the plunder spot. The uh, town had been destroyed, and he saw, the Bible says, this garment, this Persian garment, and he wanted it. And he knew all that was to be taken that day was to go to the Lord's work. And then he saw some gold, and he coveted the gold, and he took it for himself, and he hid it. I mean, you think about it. Here's this beautiful garment, and he can't even wear it. It's buried under his tent, you know? And then his whole life 
is taken because of his covetousness. Because he put stuff first when he could have put God first. We're asked that same question. Do you love God or do you love the things your eye can see? What your eye gate meets? The temptation to have. Now let me mention, I mentioned integrity is the cure. In this case, what's the cure for greed? What's the cure for covetousness. Scripturally, it's generosity. Generosity. Jesus says, we learn how to give. And we get free from the sin of covetousness by giving stuff away. By giving to those in need. Generosity is a cure. And boy, do we need this cure today. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. Let's go on to the last one. The boastful pride of life. The pride of life. It'd be the, uh, we, we, we know the sin of pride, don't we? It was the one that took the evil one down in the first place. It's the original sin, we would say. You know? Pride, bragging. This isn't so much uh, wanting what you don't have. It's more, Look what I got. Look what I've got. Sometimes it's the job I've got. Sometimes it's the stuff I've got. Sometimes it's the position I've got. Or even while I'm not like them. You know, the guy in the, the uh, man in the temple who said, I'm glad I'm not like this tax collector. The boastful pride of life. Only one man went away that day forgiven, and it was not the Pharisee. So here's this pride of life. This is the temptation not to feel and not to have, but to be. The temptation to build your identity in what you've got or who you are or where you live, what you possess. The pride of what you have and what you are. That's the pride of life. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under, the mighty, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due or in proper time. God opposes the proud, the temptation to be, rather than to be God's man, to be God's woman, to be God's creation, and let him determine who you are. So what's the antidote for that? What's the antidote for being proud of your life? Number one, honesty. Number two, humility. You put on humility. What's this say here? Humble yourselves. What's, it, what's implied in that? There's an action. There's a volunteerism. You can do it. You can humble yourself. Or guess what? God will humble you. Because what's he doing? He is opposing the proud. <coughs> but giving grace to the humble. Oh, you don't want to be opposing God, do you? You want to be experiencing and reveling in his grace. That's what he gives to the humble. Now, these three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, 
and the boastful pride of life are illustrated all through Scripture. I mean, think of Eve for a minute. Eve in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. The Bible says, God said, you shall not eat from this tree. But here's what it says. But Eve noticed the fruit. Here's what it says. That it was good for food. Which one would that be? Lust of the flesh. And that it was pleasing to the eye. Which one would that be? It's easy. And that it would be consumed to make one wise. Pride of life. I mean, they just kind of fit, you know. When, uh, when Jesus was tempted in Matthew chapter 4, remember he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and the evil one came to him and boom, 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 three times in a row just tempted him to the core of his being. The three things that he worked on, he said, turn these stones into bread and have your fill. Which one is that? The flesh, you know. And then took him up and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. What's that? Lust of the eyes. And then, of course, he, he, he said, if you cast yourself down, the angels will... And everybody's going to know. And you'll be so proud of what God does. What's the temptation? Pride of life. And what did Jesus say every single time? No, it is written. No, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone. It is written. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. It is written. And he just went boom, 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 just like Satan had to him and resisted every one of those three. Each one of those. We could go through Moses. We could go through tons of people that you just illustrate that those exact three tools or fruit that Satan uses. That's why I call it the world's fruition that the world uses. The Bible will keep you from all your sin or sin will keep you from your Bible. Just like Jesus said, it is written. That's the power of the word. <coughs> Excuse me, the word of God. Yeah, well, God's going to use that uh, for, for us as we remember the world's fruit. Let's take this, this one here. Let's talk about the world's competition, okay? Because it says it's not from the Father, but from the world. See, that competition is there. That's why I said earlier, you've got to choose whom you're going to love. The world or God? Everybody gets to choose. Everybody has a choice. Where is your allegiance? Where is your affection going to be placed? With God the Father or with the world? Now, the scripture brings out a couple of things that maybe could be progressive in this. For instance, we're not to be friends of the world. Now, we're supposed to make friends in the world, but don't be friends with or of the world. Does that make sense? Don't be friends of the world. Here's what it says. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? See, that's where a lot of people are like, well, I just don't want to be a freak. I don't want to be some holier than thou. So I'm just going to have a little bit of evil in my life. I'm just going to, I'm just going to dabble in a few things because I don't want to be so weird, like some holiness kind of person. I just kind of, and he's saying, that is friendship with the world. And what happens? It means enemy, enmity. 
being an enemy of God. I mean, you are choosing to flip God off, to throw your fist in his face and say, I don't believe you. I think you are a liar. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Make friends in the world, but no. You know, we see this all the time. Watching my grandkids, you know, one says, I can't be your friend anymore. It's like, what? Well, because I'm her friend, and she says she hates your guts, so I can't be your friend anymore. Hates your guts? You know? Well, what's that about? We, we understand. If somebody's a friend and somebody's an enemy, you've got to make your choices. That's what he's getting at here. You've got to make your choice. Do you love God, the Father, or do you love the world? Because the world hates your guts. The world hated Christ, Christ's guts, and he is against him. The world is against him. Here's another verse for you. This is from James as well, but 127. Religion that the Father accepts is pure and faultless, to look after the orphans. We know this, don't we? To look after the orphans and the widows in their distress. A lot of times we stop there. Look what this says about the world, though. To keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I've listed it as not spotted by the world. Because one version says to keep oneself unstained or unspotted by the world. What's that mean? Well, when you live your life... You've got to guard yourself because the world is going to make assaults on you. The world is going to attempt to pollute you, to spot you, to make its mark on you. One version says to brand you as its own. Okay? So don't become branded. Don't become spotted. Don't become friends. Don't become spotted. Let's do the last one. Romans 12. One and two, don't be conformed to the world. Do not conform to the pattern of what? There it is again, this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It even has the anecdote right there, doesn't it? By the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what the will of God is, is good, pleasing and perfect will. I like the Living Bible's version of this. It says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. So the world is going to attempt to frame you, shape you, and mold you into its likeness. At the same time, God is saying, I made you in my likeness. I made you to be my child, to be my son to be my daughter. Don't let the world squeeze you into the world's mold. You won't be happy and people will suffer, you and everyone around you. Remember, uh, remember Lot in the Old Testament? Lot's a good example of how this kind of was a slow fade. You've heard that before? It was kind of a slow fade. Lot... Uh, saw something and he, and, and he desired in Sodom and Gomorrah. And so he went down and he pitched his tent on the plains of the Jordan near Sodom. Where he kind of moved 
closer. And then he went and he joined himself to the, we would say the world, to Sodom and Gomorrah. He moved in. And then the city was attacked. Then the city was captured. And what happened a lot? He suffered along with the people. He became a prisoner as well. And then when the whole city was destroyed, Lot was saved, but what happened to everything he cared about? It was destroyed as well. The progression was deadly in the long run, but it looked incremental. And so he moved that way. Friendship with the world, being spotted by the world, branded by the world, and eventually being conformed to the world. It's a progressive thing. Take a look at this. Uh, it's a modern rendition of the idea of it's a slow burn, a slow fade by casting crowns. Incrementalism, huh? But really, where is your heart? The last thing on this uh, outline was the world's destination. And, and, and you've got to end with this because the apostle John does. He says, part of the reason why we want to love the Father instead of the world is what's happening in the long run. The world and its desires are going to pass away. They're going to die. They're going to be gone. They're going to be burned up. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Think about the passing world system and the permanent will of God. Which do you want to be a part of? Which lasts forever? What do you want to invest in? The permanent or the temporary and the passing Jesus said, heaven and earth pass away, but my words never pass away. Put your investment, put your heart, put your love into God, into the Father. Make the choice. Who are you going to love? I encourage you, treasure Jesus. Treasure his heart. Come to the cross. John 3.16, for God so loved you and I, he loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. Let's stand together and sing a final song as I uh, lead us in prayer too. Heavenly Father, thank you for the reminders today of what lasts forever, what means the most to us, Lord, and what means the most to you. Help us to put our affection firmly ingrained in you. Help us to not love the world nor the things in the world, but to fully fix our eyes on Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.